the uh, title is Follow Me, and uh, that's taken from uh, Matthew uh, chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. You don't have to find it, it's there, and it's only short I can read it. And it says there, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, that's Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, who would be called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. That's obvious, isn't it? Why else would they be doing that? But um, still, uh, we carry on. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, uh, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. They were in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. A man walks up to two men. This is not a joke, by the way. A man walks up to two men and he asks them to follow him. And they, being fishermen, and probably from generations of fishermen, and probably the sole providers of their wider family, leave everything they have and immediately follow Jesus. In all honesty, do you not find that a little strange? That that would occur? Then think again. Where did he meet them? It says in that that while walking by the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus is actually looking for some people who will be drawn to him, who will then be left with the commission of, of taking his gospel to all the world. And Jesus is walking by the side of a sea called Galilee. He's not in Jerusalem, where surely you'd find some bright sparks. He's not in the court of Herod, where the thinkers are. He's not in the schools of the rabbis and the chief priests and the Pharisees and the scribes, where the intelligent people are. He found them in Galilee. The ones that he chooses are the ones that apparently are in obscurity. Do you not think that's a weird way of doing things? From another perspective, let me take you there. The creator of the universe, as Jesus is described in the Bible, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the the one who upholds all things uh, by the word of his power. These are quotes from the Bible. The one who is from everlasting to everlasting. The one who is born of a virgin of the Holy One of God. The one who is perfect in life the one who will be triumphant in a short while over sin and death and all the demons that you will ever meet, who in him are hid all the treasures and the wisdom and knowledge of God, the Messiah strolls up to two fishermen, raw, in an unlikely place and says, follow me. Now, this is a really odd story, isn't it, when you think about that? Odd. Odd choice. Odd place. What is Jesus doing? Do you not think, what was it about this person, Jesus, 
that caused these people to leave their nets? What? Immediately. Was it his presence as he stood looking at them? Was it the way that he spoke the words to them? Did he look deeply into their eyes and they feel he's revealed something? I, to be honest, I don't know. I really don't know how this happened. And yet, if you were to read the Bible, you'd find that it's not unusual. In an instance, people have made decisions to give up perhaps a a pursuit in order, as the Bible says, to gain a, a greater pleasure and greater purpose. And we find this theme occurring time and time again. Sometimes in stories that Jesus tells himself. He says in Matthew 13 that people will sell a field to follow him. Now a field in those days was not only the money that they had, but it was the inheritance of their family to be. I will give all that away to follow you. Or why Jesus tells the story of a merchant who considered it, considered it good money and commerce to give it all up to go and find one pearl of great price. It seems that there's something better out there and Jesus says, it's me. And he calls us to lay hold of it and to catch it and to see it. You know, the human heart is a deep and complex creature. I've realised this about me. I think when Callie married me some 29 years ago, she thought this was an easy task. And she's still, every now and again, wondering why I do some of the things that I do. You see, we're not just body, are we? We're soul. And not just soul, but a soul with passion and desire and thoughts. And we know it's not... And when I'm talking about that, it's not sort of like the same passion and desire as playing sport. Or for some of you collecting stamps or whatever. But it's a desire and a passion and a a sense in us all that we all desire to be fulfilled, to have a hope, to be secure, to have goals and more. And those feelings that are deep within us were no different to the feelings of these fishermen that Jesus meets. And it seems that in an instant, all these things seem to be found in this one man. And they go, okay, we'll follow you. Wow. It's an extraordinary thing, isn't it, really? Somehow, some way, they catch something and they go after him. I want to ask you a question. You can answer this honestly or you can lie to me if you like (laughs) where does where would if Jesus were to call you right now how would you respond how would you be where would that where would you figure 
There's a man in the Bible called the Apostle Paul, and he was the one that wrote some of the letters uh, the, uh, towards the end of the, the New Testament, the, the latter part of the Bible, and he wrote to uh, the church in Philippians, into Philippi, and he explained to them his feelings about this person that he'd met on a road to Damascus. And he explains to them how valuable Jesus has become to him and he wants to share that with them. He wants to share that Jesus has become very central to life itself and to his life. And to, to his life. And what he does is that he starts to say some things about Jesus that we can very quickly read. Let me read some of, you, some of those things about what he says about Jesus. He says this. He says, I'm always rejoicing in Christ. Something in here just causes me to delight in him. He said, I'm always glorying in Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to gain Christ. I want to be found in Christ. I want to make Christ my own. And finally he says that I want to obtain the prize of Christ on the last day. Here's Paul, another person, who says the only thing that matters in my life right now is this one person. Jesus Christ. He's basically saying every emotion, every feeling, everything that you've got in life can be fulfilled in this one person, Jesus Christ. And he writes to tell a church that. In fact, in verses uh, 4 to 6 of, of uh, the book Philippians chapter 3, <laughs> Paul um, lists the religious and ethnic and distinctive achievements that he could boast in. And he says this, though I myself have to reason for the confidence of the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Basically, I'm a better guy than you lot. That's why he's right. Look, I'm a better guy than you lot. Or I could be. And then he says how he's better than them. Or tries to. He says, I have more. I'm circumcised on the eighth day. That's good. He said, uh, I am of the people of Israel. No, more than that, I am not only of the people of Israel, I am actually from the tribe of Benjamin. No, no. He said, Hebrews, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee in zeal. There's nobody practiced it like me. (laughs) And then he explained, I love this one, and just to add this, persecutor of the church. Thank you for that one, Paul. But he was. But what he's saying is that even in my passion and zeal, I did that in the same way. As to righteousness, I'm under the law, blameless. Absolutely, in every way. This was the sum of it all, Paul. Now Paul says, I have achievements, I have qualification, I have high position, and I don't care about them. That's an extraordinary statement. I have high position, I have achievements, I have qualifications, and I don't care about them. I wonder what you care about. 
I wonder where you get your buzz from. I wonder where you get your sense of peace from. I want to suggest to you this, that actually some of you gain them from achievements, qualifications, high position, and what people think of you. Yeah? Sorry, that was a bit squeaky, wasn't it? But I'm from Wolverhampton. Every now and again, we have a female side that comes welling up from within us. Can't help it. He says, I don't care about them. I care about Jesus more because of what I have found in him. I have found in him all the things that cancel these things out. That's an extraordinary statement, isn't it? Jesus has cancelled all these things out, and in him I found more. Wow. Now, he had plenty of moral and legal achievements, but they were not better than, than what Jesus was. They could satisfy him, but Jesus satisfied him more. They meant nothing compared with Christ. Less than nothing. In fact, he goes on and he makes this statement. He says, they are to me rubbish or dung. Now, I wouldn't like to say that about my cycling proficiency test, which I still class as my greatest achievement. (laughs) To do the slow bike thing and stay on is impressive. (laughs) And it wasn't the days when, like modern bikes, where you have little wheels... No, in my day, it was big bike, big wheels, and I still stayed on and passed. And not only that did I pass, that I got one of those silver things to put on your bike. And do you know what? Some rat bag nicked it. (laughs) So if anybody's got one, I am feeling bitter about this. Going back to rubbish or dung... Verse 7 and 8. But whatever gain I had, I count it loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. That is something extraordinary that has happened to a person. Has that happened to you? Has that happened to you in a way that you can say, no, to me, Jesus Christ matters most, and I know that, that I can count these things rubbish compared with him. I've been a pastor now for nearly 25 years. Um, And although that I look in my 30s that I'm not, And I've noticed this thing, and I'm just going to get into trouble on Tinternet for this one. But churches and church people get their knickers in in a twist time after time after time. In fact, sometimes churches have not been a great advocate of Jesus Christ himself. And they should be. Because what churches do is that they get lost in politics, and boy, can we. We get lost in odds traditions. Next week in our church, you're waiting for this next week, I have got the joy of preaching on devoted to breaking of bread. Hang on, folks. (laughs) My goodness, do we get lost into the odds traditions. It's interesting that as soon as there's a new book or a new course, 
We're into it. Because we think that's the answer to everything. Do you know, I want to say this to you churches listening on Tinternet and here. There was only one answer and it's still the same answer. When we gather, we gather for one person and one person alone and that's Jesus Christ. It is this. If we gather for any other reason from that, go home, watch Neighbours. Please do. Because it's Jesus that gives us purpose, perspective, worth, everything that we need. And the church only gets itself in a mess when it dethrones Jesus and enthrones other things. He has to be the centre, the focus, the reason. There's a hymn that was written by a lady called Ree Miller. I'm hoping, Claire, that you will know Ree Miller because she's from uh, Brooktondale, New York. Well, you're near... I relate this to you, Claire, because she was born around 1932. Well, you're looking good. And uh, she wrote this song for Billy Graham, actually, for the Billy Graham Crusades. And she wrote this, and I'm going to read it to you with the chorus repeated. She said this. She said, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. The chorus. Than to be a king of a vast domain and to be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Yeah? Second verse, I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be a king of a vast domain. And to be held in sin's dread sway, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I love the last verse because the two verses that came before um, are just a statement. But listen to what she says. He is fairer than the lilies of the rarest bloom. He is sweeter than honey from out of the comb. He is all that my hungering spirits need, spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead than to be a king of a vast domain and to be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Let me address you, Christian. Have you forgotten the call? You didn't get a call to go to church. You should go to church, by the way. You shouldn't not be at church because Jesus loves the church and it is his instrument for his glory. But the call was to follow him. That's what you had. You had a call to follow him. 
Just forget all for a moment and I will make you fishers of men. You were called first to be with him and to do what he does and go where he goes and to listen to him and to be in a personal relationship with him. Jesus said to these disciples, guys, come and follow me. It really is as simple as that. It really is. The call of God, the call of Jesus Christ, is come and follow me. Now, perhaps you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian. But the call isn't just a historic thing that's in the Bible. Because there are the people in this room that would say, yes, I heard that call too. And I would have to say, yeah, I heard that call too. I heard the point in my life when Jesus said, Nigel, come and follow me. And I said, okay, I'll do that. The other thing that Jesus is doing in our text is actually to test you. <laughs> because we have to put this right, don't we? And We just need to say this and get it over with. Because so many times people go, yes, I'll follow you. And then it doesn't quite happen like that, does it really? Well, I follow Jesus, but you know, it doesn't look like that, does it? You see, if he's enough for you, if he really is your treasure, your joy, your security, your hope, your friend in times of trouble, if he really is your home, your help, your father, your teacher, your leader, your power, your more, then you will not only follow him, you'll leave your nets behind. Because your nets mean nothing compared with him. And that's the test. Following Jesus is not just attending something. No, it isn't like that. The Christian life isn't like that. If you think that that's what we sign up for, we sign up for, for Jesus plus life and all that we can... No, we didn't sign up for that. We signed up actually for a cost. A personal cost. And that personal cost is some of the things that we are doing that have sustained us for all those years, we will no longer do them. You know, for some of us, there has been a call to follow Jesus, but we've not left our nets. Let me go back to this thing. Jesus said, guys, leave your nets and come and follow me. Let me ask you a question. What do your nets look like? What do they look like? You've been called to leave them behind and follow him. In fact, the issue... Is not the nets. You can come and see me and say, Nigel, you, can, you should see my net. And I shall say to you, well, you should see Rupert's net or somebody else's net. You see, the issue is not the net. The issue is how big is Jesus compared with the net. Because <laughs> if Jesus is everything that you want to follow, it's a joy to leave your nets behind. Somehow, we'll finish on this, and in a mysterious way, these fishermen saw Jesus in a moment. This is what happens, folks. I've known time after time after time after time where people have encountered Jesus, and at the moment before that, they had no intention on following Jesus. 
These guys were not thinking, oh, in a minute, five minutes' time, Jesus will come round the corner and we'll follow him. Not at all. But something happened. What they saw, what they heard, grabbed their hearts and minds and bodies enough to change everything and the, the way that they lived. And it still happens today. People encounter Jesus and their lives are radically changed. And it does, folks, look strange. It just does. And when you explain it, it just looks stranger. That's the thing. You know, when we speak about, well, you know, what did they see? We, we now can't see like they saw. Because they saw something physically. They heard something physically. The Bible now says that we see Jesus who is ascended back into heaven and he's waiting for the call of God to return to this earth. We see Jesus with the eyes of our heart. It means something goes on inside. That's, oh dear, that's verging on being emotional, isn't it? But it's true. Something goes on inside. When he was about to leave this world and return to God his Father, Jesus said, you will not see me until you see the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, which is what I've just explained. And then, he, and then later, Paul, Apostle Paul says, now that means that we now walk not by sight, but by faith. We see something, and it is by faith. And the Bible says that we see Jesus, Ephesians chapter 1, with the eyes of our heart. He awakens something in here. He awakens something. Let me tell you this, just honestly to you. I didn't intend to be a Christian. God suddenly woke something in my heart. I saw Jesus with all his glory, with all that he'd done for me in saving me, and I followed him. I didn't intend to do that. Something happened. The Bible speaks about seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of of God. And it's true that some people do see that. And some people don't see a thing. I've preached some sermons and some put sermons to Christians as well. And it's as if I'm talking to a load of dead people. In fact, you, know, you can crack your best jokes and they still don't laugh. And I haven't got many good ones. But it's something like that. And the Bible explains that. It says sometimes that Jesus said of the crowds, seeing but they don't see. It's an extraordinary so seeing, but they, don't, they see him, but they don't see in here. They don't see in here. They're not affected by what they have seen. Somebody once said to me, and I never understood this, you have, they said, to see Jesus, you have to put different eyes on. When you're little, that's quite peculiar, isn't it? Thing to st- but it is true. You have to see things in a different way. And not everybody will see this. Not everyone will see his truth. 
Not everyone will see the wonder of the cross and why he died. Not everyone will see the resurrection and the conquering over death itself. Not anyone will see the ascension and him rising up to heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. Not everyone will see that this was God who became man and dwelt on earth amongst people. Not everyone will see that he died for the sin of the world in your place so that you might not perish but have eternal life. Not everyone will see that. Some people will see myth. Some people will see foolishness. Some people will see offence. And some of you as Christians have forgotten what he looks like. Blow me, did I get into this for Jesus? Yeah, that's the only reason you got into this. It's the only reason. If you got into it for any other reason, please ditch it. We got into it for Jesus. Jesus is standing here today. The Bible says that he's doing that. And he's standing actually on the shore of your life. And right now, you're at work spending time in your boat and I want to ask you can you see him standing there? Can you hear him speaking to you? He does it personally. From the shore he calls you to where you are. Right now he calls you to where you you are. And he says, Simon, Andrew, the creator of the heaven and earth knows people personally. Extraordinary. He comes to you, meets you where you are, and calls you personally by name. The reason that he calls you? Come and follow me. You're going to have to leave those things, but come and follow you. Come and follow me. I want to give an opportunity for two things this evening before we get to the baptism bit, and and that is this. I know, because of just the way that it is, there are people here that have not followed Jesus. And I'm not going to bring you out to the front in a great evangelistic sort of crusade thing in front of everybody. Um, I want to save you from that. But I want to say this to you. If you feel that Jesus has spoken to you the first time, come and follow me, then I'd like you to come and tell me that afterwards. Come and find me over coffee And say, when you were speaking, when we were worshipping, I think Jesus was calling me for the first time. I want to explain that with you. I want to just talk that through with you. I think there are some other people here that have just simply lost the plot. And there is grace for you. I want to just say this. Most Christians, at some point, lose the plot. We just do. And here's the plot. We're doing this for him. And I want you to do this at some point. 
I want you at, at, at some point to say, okay, Jesus, I, I rededicate my life to following you. <laughs> How important is he to you? It's time to do that. It's time to set that right and to say, I'm following you and you alone and you matter more than anything. And if that's you, I'd like you to find me afterwards and say, Nigel, you were right. I've been a clot, but I'm going to put it right. You're allowed to use the word clot. Just, it's worth just being honest about yourself. Just saying that. Here's the wonderful thing. Jesus is so gracious that he will welcome you and say, okay, 